Thank you very much for joining Really Specific Stories. Daniel, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, to kick off this episode, I'm going to ask you the same question that I start every episode with, with every guest, and that is, how did you first get into podcasts? As a listener or as a producer or both, I guess. Either way, uh, what, what was your first experience with it? My memory is back, it must have been 2004 or five. I was still living in San Francisco, and so it was before it was before July of 2005. It must have been uh, it's a foggy memory now because of course that's almost 20 years back, but um, it must have been around the time with uh, why am I blanking on his name now? He was pretty well known uh, in the early podcast scene, American DJ. But it's not it's not coming to me. Um, he was a big part of the early, I think maybe helping to coin the term podcast. And I can't remember the specific first podcast I listened to, but um, it was before it was before Apple had gotten involved with the whole, um, you know, making an actual feature of iTunes. I seem to recall using Net Newswire to download podcasts, syncing them over to my iPod, as of course, that's where the eventually the um, the podcast name came from. But I can't remember the specifics of how of what I listened to until a couple years later, I, I know like a, a very early rotation of podcasts included shows like one from CNET, which was called Buzz Out Loud. And I remember, I most specifically remember walking around the streets of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I, I remember um, as a listener having these podcasts like Buzz Out Loud, I think pretty early on there, some of Leo Laporte's early podcasts. Maybe I was starting to get some NPR stuff on podcasts at that point, but I just remember distinctly feeling that it was no longer a chore to walk anywhere because everywhere I walked, I had this delightful, infinite supply of stimulating, you know, intellectual radio, basically. But... You know, a lot of us, I think, who are of a certain age used to sort of listen to the radio for that if we got it anywhere. And so, like, way back when I was still living in California, working at Apple, driving from San Francisco down to Cupertino, you know, listening to NPR was like the the thing to do for me in my car while I was driving. And it's interesting now to think back that... I almost never listen to the radio now. It's all time-shifted podcasts, uh, more more or less. I also listen to audiobooks, but yeah. So it's been it's had a really profound impact on my um, that my use of time. Uh, a lot of people ask me when do you get the time to listen to podcasts because it seems it seems a lot of people don't don't have an easy time finding time for podcasts. And for me, there's just so much stuff I do, washing dishes, you know, mowing the lawn, cleaning the house, walking anywhere, running, exercise. Anytime I have like a physical obligation, it's basically a, a place to put my mind as a listener. So that's really been a huge part of my life since, I guess, the almost 20 years now. And then kind of like astoundingly 
almost as long, really, like 13 years of that time has also been as a podcast producer with my friend Manton Reese on the Core Intuition podcast. And, you know, as I, I should note, I guess, I did a separate podcast called the Bit Splitting Podcast, which was an interview format that only lasted for 10 episodes. That was almost 10 years ago, I think. It's one of these, like, quote-unquote, on hiatus, but I think I thought I was going to take a short break from doing it because it wiped me out. And unfortunately, I never started it back up again. So my experience with podcasting as a producer really started probably very shortly before starting Core Intuition. I was a guest on a couple podcasts, um, notably getting back to Leo Laporte. Like I was uh, privileged to be on the um, Mac Break Weekly podcast way, you know, I think before Core Intuition started. So probably 2006, 2007. But I remember having that like stage fright, jitters feeling of being on a podcast. And now, luckily, I've been doing this so long. For for example, I'm sure you will talk to some people who are a little jittery about talking to you. And I have zero jitters about talking to you because luckily I've been doing this so long that you kind of get comfortable with, uh, you know, basically managing your personality and, you know, whoever you are, you just put yourself on the microphone and that's who you are. That's who you get. You're getting Daniel Jalkett today, (laughs) 9 a.m. for me, 11 p.m. for you. We're, I guess, each probably groggy in our own way, but (laughs) the, uh, this is, this is, uh, how I roll now. Well, that is a brilliant summary of your story. Well, not really a summary, like a detailed account in great chronological (laughs) order. So thank you for that. And, uh, you're right. I mean, Maybe slightly groggy, but I'm way worse in the morning. So you're probably getting peak Martin at the microphone right now, at least in the evening. Oh, good. Oh, perfect. (laughs) I've set the expectations now. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, there's a lot there that you said that was very interesting to me and a great account of how you went from listening to producing and some of the things that you've done. Early on in that experience that you were just detailing, a word jumped out to me that I thought was very interesting, and that was that it was an intellectual Mm -hmm. endeavor to be consuming this stuff when you were commuting to and from Apple or doing various different physical tasks. When you say it's an intellectual endeavor, what kinds of thing or feeling were you getting out of consuming this stuff early on? And can you speak a little bit about maybe the technological interest and how that was linked to podcasting as a medium for you? Yeah, I really felt early on that... The things I was listening to early on were either stimulating in a non-technical way, like political, science, whatever kind of like general interest. Um, I really like the, um, I used to listen a lot more, but like the fresh air format of just interviewing anybody who has had an impact on the world. And so getting a little glimpse into something new, you know, I think I have one of those personalities that is novelty oriented, like I'm always seeking out novel experiences. to either learn a little bit about some random thing. I never think it's a waste of time to have learned a little bit about something, uh, you know, as opposed to people who some people I think are dedicated to learning in great depth about something. And for them, it might be that any time spent outside of that is like a waste of time to them. So like somebody who wants to be an expert on the history of Germany, let's say, 
They might find listening to a CNET tech podcast to be a complete waste of time because they're not adding to their depth of understanding of the history of Germany, typically, uh, by listening to that show. But for me, it was, I mean, when I when I remembered walking around the streets of Cambridge, I remember, you know, shows like the Buzz Out Loud show were keeping me apprised of general tech news that I wasn't going to get from talking to my Mac developer friends, talking to, you know, nobody else in my family is as as much of a tech nerd as I am. So it was just kind of like an opportunity to stay tuned into the broader tech world. And as a Mac developer, I was getting plenty of Apple-related stuff from my friends. But I remember really just enjoying, like, learning about what people were talking about in the PC world and in other the web-based world. And um, I kind of want to, I think related to that novelty thing, I kind of want to have a little bit of an understanding of everything that's going on. And, you know, that, that does apply to all fields. It, it's like, I want to know a little bit about you know, science and medicine and politics and art and kind of the general, how does the world work? And one of the wonderful things about podcasts, especially now, is there is no topic that you can't go out and, you know, subscribe to. I, you know, fancy myself eventually becoming fluent in Spanish and, It's like I've been learning Spanish my whole life, but I'm not fluent. So I sometimes listen to this Spanish language podcast on slow mode. You know, we use the um, Overcast app has a like play at three quarters speed so I can listen to a, a, a podcast in another language at my chosen sort of slowed down speed. It's something I never could have done on the radio. And uh, but it's just a way to. Never, you know, there's almost like a certain fear of boredom. And it's like, there's no fear of boredom if I have like a packed iPhone with podcasts that I've chosen to ensure my interest in something. That's a great point that you make that podcasting in general, aside from topic, is very inviting to just about any interest. And I know that we're both here because I invited you because of some shared tech interest. We've, you know, crossed in kind of tech podcast circles, uh, which have naturally built up since those early days that you mentioned of Mac developers you can share those ideas with. I'm interested in what you just said there about time shifting and also the ability to slow down or speed up dialogue in an app like Overcast, whether it's the tech genre itself or other genres if we think about podcasting as a medium there are various digital affordances there that you've distinguished from radio building on that idea what are some of the most positive or interesting experiences in fact it could be negative what are some of the most interesting experiences that you think you've had with podcasting as a medium that cements it for you as a way of getting information or being entertained I don't know that 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 doesn't really spark anything in my mind specifically. Mm. I think just the ubiquity of it is 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 everything to me and having my own personal supply of entertainment, stimulation, I guess that that's it's sort of like the medium itself is what's what makes it so have such a profound impact. I don't know that 
it, there's something too about I think the the fact ultimately podcasting is 99% the same as radio because um, there's something unique and special about radio that it's it's because it only engages one sense you know your 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 hearing it enables you to remain tuned into other things with your other senses and so like the the very fact that radio came about and then suddenly people could drive a car one of the most dangerous potentially dangerous things you can do in in life while engaged in another pursuit and i think whatever it is about radio that's why radio is still around and like you know i said i almost never listened to the radio but a lot of people do and until everybody and, and until and unless everybody has their own personal supply of audio i think there's just something special you know taking a step back it's not podcasts per se but the idea that you can do something while you're doing something else you know you you you'll see like plumbers working while listening to a baseball game you know they can have an entertainment literally while they're earning their living and there's no way i don't think there's any way you can like really engage with another medium like you can't read a book while you're fixing uh the pipes you can't watch a tv show while you're doing another job i mean there might be exceptions i guess but Generally, there's there's something about the way you can be totally engaged in an audio stream while, I think, more or less without compromise, pursuing something else. You know, when I'm running, for example, there's no compromise to my mind of my exercise, the fitness objective I meet while running. There's no compromise because I'm listening to you know, a long, deliberate audio stream. And that's just kind of fascinating that that it gives us the power to sort of like break up, to split our our pursuits. You know, there's there's sort of like famously, there's like anti-multitasking rhetoric that is famously like, you know, that they'll say like, you can't really multitask. And so people who claim to be multitasking are just doing the job poorly, uh, several jobs poorly. And I just don't know that that's true when it comes to this sort of special... I, 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 other other examples come to mind, like um, you could take a hot shower and think really in depth about something, and people often do this. It's like that's a form of multitasking. You are stimulating one sensory input while focused on something else. And so there's a kind of something to that idea of multitasking by splitting up the senses that I think we need to give multitasking some credit for being valuable in that sense. You know, even if it's, you know, I I think there's something to the idea that like you can't effectively multitask reading five books at the same time, but you can effectively multitask taking a hot shower and even listening to a podcast for example um you can have your you know hot temperature sense engaged while your audio sense is engaged and possibly your physical you know actual cleaning yourself is also engaged and you're doing all these things at once um so 
I think that's the magic of podcasting is just a place to put your brain when you don't need all of your brain doing whatever else it is you're doing. Well, that was a perfect example to bring up because I'm a real shower daydreamer, so I can really relate to that, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) Time passed. You said that nothing sparked in your mind with that, but you actually gave some very interesting points there about, I liked the word personal and what you were just saying about multitasking there, turning personally to you with podcasting as a personal endeavor. Can you tell me the kind of story about how you came to meet some of the people you've met through tech podcasting, through listening or production, and how you've essentially come to multitask with podcasting alongside the other things you do in your life, whether hobbies or paid work. You know, there's this whole social, uh, for me, being a part of tech is a whole social thing that started way back with chat systems like IRC. And a lot of my social circle well, first of all, like as a, as a as a member of the tech community, I was really not part of the larger tech community in my early career when I worked for Apple. I was part of the Apple tech community. Um, and so it was kind of fascinating for me to realize that there was this broader community out there. I wasn't looking for a community when I first worked at Apple in the like late 90s, early 2000s. And then once I left Apple, I think I was sort of thirsty for a community. I couldn't be part of the Apple community, at least not in the level I had been as an employee at Apple. And so then I was kind of looking for other people to hang out with. I was looking for that like virtual water cooler break room, so to speak. And way back then, I got involved with this small group of developers that were part of a Yahoo mailing list group. It was called the Mac Software Business Group. And then that became like an IRC channel that went with that. And I think ultimately that is how I was part of a chat community that ultimately, it's funny, I I try to think back specifically to like, how did I meet Manton Reese, who is my co-host on Core Intuition? And it's so funny to think that I can't I can't really remember how we met or why we decided to start the podcast. But he was one of the people in one of these chats, probably going back to IRC days. And somehow this like it's like this I'm still in chats today. Nowadays, mostly on Slack, but I'm on chats today that have a lineage that goes back to IRC chats in the 90s or in the early 2000s. Um, And my community of like developer friends, it continued to grow with podcasting. So there's people I know, and I'll credit things like Twitter too, like this whole virtual community started for me with IRC. And then having some of those connections, I think, for example, one of the very first podcasts I was on was um, Scotty from the um, NS conference. He um, is also was also, to my mind, pretty well known for a very early podcast called Late Night Coco, I think it was called. So he was one of the first podcasts I was on. And then... 
from that, maybe that relationship led to me speaking at his conference, NS conference. And I met people at NS conference. And every time for me, I, I think it's kind of fascinating. Uh, I meet a lot of people online and then I, I meet them in person and it sort of solidifies that relationship in a way that like now you have like a, it's more like, like you're more likely to be on each other's podcasts or, um, you know, once you meet somebody in person, they just somehow they're, they're more real. And I think, for example, that's true to some extent with podcasting, having met Scotty on that podcast, chatting with him in person, you know, we didn't have video streams at that time. So like right now I'm chatting with you, this is audio, but I'm looking at your face. So it's, it's kind of like we're getting to know each other here, quote unquote, in person, even though we're halfway around the world from each other. Um, but there's something about that. Uh, I think there's something to the podcasting format, the way that it is, it lends itself to conversational, informal types of communication that I think a lot of us like listening to podcasts because they're not super well produced. So for example, Manton and I on the Core Intuition podcast, we have never strictly ordained like, what are we going to talk about on any given day? And we go into the show really, we used to go into the show literally just saying, you know, I think the episode one was called Two Voices. And I think we went into it with that as our sort of you know, the rallying cry for what is this show about? Well, it's just about two voices and we'll see where it goes from there. And so we used to start every show with this, just like start recording and see what's on our mind. And it got a little, it's evolved over the years so that now we usually try to go into a show with a very rough scaffolding of first, we're going to talk about this. And then if we have time, we're going to talk about this. And then, you know, maybe 50% of the time you actually get to the second topic. And 50% of the time, you don't. And sometimes you get to two other topics you didn't plan on. But as a listener, for example, I really like that format compared to um, I've, I've listened to some valuable tech podcasts over the years that were valuable in spite of being boring, because they were too um, prescribed. It was like you could tell that the people who produced the podcast had sat down and outlined the entire show. And you knew that they were sort of reading from their cue card the whole time. And you have to be like really good at producing content to pull that off. Uh, I, this is reminding me of, um, you know, advice for public speaking. I heard or read or saw somewhere once that, you know, if you're if you're invited to speak publicly, you should, almost all of us should plan on speaking extemporaneously with a plan. That is to say, not to rehearse line by line what you're going to say. There's sort of like this um, uncanny valley of naturalness that 99% of us can't achieve that magical feeling of authenticity that the most professional speakers can lend to a perfectly rehearsed talk. I think it was in the context of um, the TED Talks. Whoever it was that I was, I was hearing or reading about, talking about this, was saying, 
basically like TED Talks are both totally rehearsed, but come across as like totally authentic and off the cuff. And nobody, you know, to, to, a, to a rough approximation, nobody can pull that off. And so most of us, we do best by just having a rough idea what we're going to do and then meandering like I'm doing now. And um, as a participant and as a listener, that is so interesting. I think it's one of the things that makes listening to podcasts so fun. You know, uh, I listen to some of these famously long podcasts like the Accidental Tech podcast or John Gruber's The Talk Show. Sometimes they break three hours and some people say, how could you possibly <laughs> struggle through listening to three hours of other people just rambling? And it's because it's just a ramble. If it was three hours of prescribed, like, okay, now we're going to talk about this. It wouldn't be fun. It's because you're sort of like getting the opportunity to hang out with other people that it sounds that, that, that it is fun. And there's, we all have this experience, I think of um, sort of feeling like we know people from listening to their podcasts. It's, It's a little bit of a, of a, of a myth. Like we don't know them, But then there's this crossover where we kind of do know them, depending on how long we've listened and how much we've engaged. Like, I, for one, have, um, you know, messaged people privately and publicly after listening to their podcasts to the point that some of the people whose podcasts I listen to know me only because I've listened to their podcast for years and I get in touch with them and I say this, that, or the other thing, I know them and they know me, even though it's this ostensibly one-way communication medium of of podcasting. So there, there you go. There's a very meandering take on how I've met people, what the whole, what is podcasting in the context of this community. It's, it's also, I want to say, very closely connected to blogging because blogging used to play a much bigger role in my community, my sense of community. And um, it's because, you know, used to be a ton of people, myself included, viewed blogging as sort of the default communication engagement with this whole, this, to some extent, Twitter has like famously taken it over. And to some extent, I think podcasting has taken it over this idea that this is how I'm going to like, roughly engage with the world. I'm going to put my ideas out there, see what people think about them. Anyone who wants to can listen to them or not. They can give me feedback about it. But podcasting in that sense is really just an audio blog. Um, what we're doing right now is a long, unrehearsed audio blog post. And I don't know, I guess it's just sort of that is all part of the community. We get to know each other through these voluntary self-expressions that, like I said, people can either tune into or tune out of. But I I guess that is, it's kind of like the speaker's corner, right? Like, you know, the classic times you'd have like these parts of towns where if you wanted to engage with somebody who had something to say, you would just go to this spot in town and there would be somebody standing on the corner sharing their thoughts. And I guess now... We just have a billion speakers' corners, and um, podcasting is one of them. You know, the podcasting is one of the venues for these people standing up on the soapbox and saying what they have to say. I've got about 
<laughs> three or four or five different questions <laughs> swirling in my brain to ask you after that and meandering is good. I suppose the point that I'll pick up on, that idea of this technology bringing people together, whether you know them uh, from your community or not, or you've used it to get in touch with them, you said that podcasting is kind of like, if not exactly the same as radio, but it's also this extension or audio version of blogging. Now, blogging and radio, when you look at them side by side, are actually very different, but podcasting appears to be, from what you've described to me, this kind of nexus, which is similar to both. And as the underlying technology for podcasting, at least today, or up until this point, has been RSS, um, is that something that plays a big role for you? Or do you think that's the kind of thing that makes podcasting something from different from radio? What, what do you think the technology's role is there? Yeah, the whole idea of a feed, that's obviously hugely powerful. The idea that it's a scaffolding, uh, the technology is a scaffolding that gives both the broadcaster and the listener the power to organize and time shift. It used to be if you wanted to time shift the radio, you'd have to literally like get ready with your boom box with a cassette tape, put it in and wait for the moment when you thought, you know, your song was going to come on and then press record and hope that you got it. And then you could time shift that. And if you compare that to the idea that, you, you know, imagine that back in, in the 80s or whatever, you know, along with the stream of songs coming off of the radio was a stream of information describing in detail the names of the songs, the artists, who all of the performers were, maybe notes about each song with the history of who, how they made the song was how much that would have empowered you as a listener back then to just like radio songs. And, and we have that luxury with almost all podcast content. It's sort of like a technical coincidence that we have it. Like it was the only way to get the information out to people at the time. Uh, you know, you could imagine a hist history of podcasting that evolved more just like a digital version of radio and didn't have this this idea of a feed. And there are services out there, I think, trying to get back to a more controlled, like not not a feed based system, something that, you, you know, for example, like I get essentially the equivalent of a feed of content from a service like Netflix, but I don't have power over, I don't, at least, at least I don't think I have power over, you know, I don't have, the technology there is proprietary and it doesn't put into my hands the ability to easily archive or organize or selectively preload all of the content where and when I want it. And I think, like I said, sort of a historical accident that podcasting turned out this way, but it's extremely empowering to individuals. The same way that blogging was with RSS, uh, and it was controversial too, and, and, and the big companies, the media companies, historically do not like anything about the way that uh, feeds empower users to individually archive and collect what they consider to be their intellectual property. So 
Um, there was a lot, of, a lot of controversy back in the early days of RSS from companies like, I think if I'm remembering cor- correctly, companies like the New York Times who didn't want you to have the power to save off a bunch of copies of their posts or their articles. I mean, you know, anybody with a little ambition could have back in the day saved off a copy, a paper copy of the New York Times, cut out the one the articles they're interested in, paste them into scrapbooks and have a permanent collection of all their favorite articles from the New York Times. Like so many things that, you know, the media companies, big companies don't like about the way things have evolved, it's it's um, it's not that it's something new you can do now, but it's something that has become so easy to automate and to just do by default that I can see why they wouldn't like that. Like, I wouldn't like it if it was really easy for somebody to automatically subscribe to all of my software work for free, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, like, because... Because then I wouldn't make any money. Uh, so I can see why there's a kind of conundrum here. But the fact is, this incredible, incredibly vital, like, it, it also continues to surprise me how powerful podcasting has become. Because it's, I've been listening to podcasts since before they were called podcasts, and well before anybody thought there was any massive social impact from them. They were, it's hard to, you know, they're so common now. You would be hard pressed to find somebody in any, like, I guess, quote unquote, first world country, at least, who had no idea what a podcast is. And if you think about like the least technologically savvy person in your family or community, if you ask them, do you know what a podcast is? The chances now are extremely high that they will know what a podcast is, even if they've never engaged in listening to one. And the fact is, chances of the average person now of listening, having listened to a podcast, I think is probably about as as high as, you know, people listening to the radio or anything else. It's a it's a huge thing and the fact that it does I, you know I, you asked this question starting on the, the I am fascinated by the the fact that it's all based on feeds still and we get back to that those of us who are interested in and love RSS and feeds and the technology just to put a, a finer point on it the technology of an open format that facilitates arbitrary clients taking and managing and downloading, parsing, etc. That's getting back to the thing I said about Netflix. You can't easily go download a third-party Netflix app. Netflix is famously restrictive about like you can run a Netflix app on your iPad or your iPhone, but you know, they they've sort of semi-famously don't have a Mac app because a lot of people would like to be able to run a, a Mac Netflix app so they can download a movie and watch it on the plane, let's say. Um, If Netflix were an open, non-proprietary format, there would be a million Netflix apps, you know? And that's kind of the way it is with podcasting. There are not a million, but there are hundreds, I'm sure, of podcasting apps, including like proprietary apps that happen to use the 
underlying, same underlying format, not because they want to, but because they have to. It's like, imagine like um, the New York Times or any other newspaper back before all of this, before the technology and the web, there might have been a technology besides printing on paper that was more proprietary and allowed you know the company to avoid for example like they sell one copy of the new york times to me for a dollar and i can hand that off to 10 other people after i'm done reading it who don't pay the dollar and you you can imagine that like the new york times if they knew another technology that would prevent that from happening like disappearing ink like you can <laughs> you know you can print on this paper that only one person can read it and then it disappears. They would be probably pretty excited about that prospect. But even if they were excited about it, they wouldn't really have the um, the option of using it if they wanted to participate in this like global market of standard printed on paper media. And I think there's something to that with podcasts that has become a standard that you don't have a choice of if you if you create audio content you kind of don't have a choice you you are so incentivized to participate in the podcast system because it's where everybody expects to get their information and similarly to the idea that if you had this magical read once newspaper you still wouldn't have uh, any choice but to to print on regular, you can share it, you can copy it, you can cut it out and paste it in a scrapbook paper because that's just the standard everybody expects. And so we're really lucky that audio podcasting has turned out to be based on this open format. As compared with, for example, video podcasting, there's no reason it couldn't have evolved with an open formats based on RSS, and to some extent it did. You know, there were people who were doing video podcasts via RSS. But as it happens, it's mostly evolved into a proprietary system based on YouTube. You know, most things you would call video podcasts or you could compare to an audio podcast, YouTube is the standard, the de facto standard for distributing. And it's fairly open and uh, but it's not open. It's open in the sense that they haven't locked it down as much as Netflix, say, for example. So you will find tools like YouTube DL to download content from YouTube. From YouTube, And for all I know, they may let you download from Netflix as well. I don't know. But the fact is, we didn't happen to end up with a, um, an open, non-proprietary system for mass dissemination of video. And that's sort of too bad. But we have uh, the technology of podcasting happening to turn out this way. And I think some credit to Apple for being like the de facto standard hub of podcasts and choosing not to try to, to make it proprietary. That we ended up with this weird system where there's this dominant media that is thankfully just like totally stuck to the chagrin of anybody who wishes it wasn't totally stuck in an open format that empowers users and app makers to have complete control over how people consume the media. I think chagrin is a chagrin <laughs> is a great word there because you, you you're right. You can kind of see this 
this desire that it were otherwise, that perhaps it were more like the YouTube or the Netflix model that you mentioned. And that word open that you mentioned is uh, is a great one and kind of difficult sometimes to define or really understand where openness ends or what it means. When I think about what you've been saying and your participation in this open podcasting area and everything you've set up until now, it reminds me also of your involvement in other areas, if I can bring it up and ask you about it. For example, uh, Mars Edit, mm-hmm. um, yep. your blogging software. You've also got Black Ink, which I was also reminded of by your mention of the New York Times and right. things like crosswords. You also mentioned in one of your earlier responses the idea of having a personality or, or bringing yourself very naturally with this podcasting experience that you have. How do you think about yourself in the various roles or personas that you play across podcasting and the blogging software that you do and the other independent development that you do? Like, who is Daniel <laughs> Jalkett? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, for folks who don't know, that the, the first thing that jumps to mind when you ask that is this sort of dichotomy of personalities. Uh, for folks who don't know, my um, Twitter persona is me, but, you know, it, I have this long-standing Twitter name, Daniel Punkass. And it inspires people to make assumptions about my personality, which are sort of understandable. And I sort of take license with having that being my um, my Twitter ID. I sort of take some license being a little bit of a punk-ass, so to speak. And that means being provocative. It means occasional profanity. It means, you know, sort of some... It means some things that... You know, when I go to meet my in-laws or something, it wouldn't be the first thing I said, hi, I'm Daniel Punkass, right? So, (laughs) we all have these personas that I I sort of treat some of the outlets I have online as a slice of my personality, and the slice you get sort of depends on what you've opted into. And when you subscribe to my Twitter feed that's named Daniel Punkass. It's sort of a sort of my assumption that you understand that you're not getting the for the benefit of in-laws like kind of personality. <laughs> so by contrast, for example, I do engage in some social networks like Facebook where I am Daniel Jalkett and I can sometimes be a little saucy there, but it's more of like this is my family personality. And, um, you know, doing the Core Intuition podcast with Manton, you you know, we sometimes can't resist it. But, for example, we almost never talk about politics on the Core Intuition podcast because, not because Manton and I aren't interested in politics. We are so interested in politics that we know it's not appropriate to to that slice of our personality and it would change the show. It would be for, you know, it's not that, it's not that we don't think the, the political discussions we might have would, wouldn't, aren't important to have, but that that's just not the slice of us. You know, the slice of us that, that people get on the core intuition podcast is the entrepreneurial technical businessy, Sort of like, how do you try to make it as a software developer 
slice of our personalities. The reason I said I jumped to the whole Daniel Punkass thing was one of the phenomena that I've experienced over the years is having people meet me in person, for example. One of the things I kind of find amusing is more than a few people have commented on being surprised that I was, quote unquote, so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? What do you expect? Well, they expect something punk ass, right? And well, I'm pretty nice on Twitter, too, even though I have this provocative, you know, sort of persona to some extent. But just goes to show how much people sort of imbue what they expect you to be like based on a specific slice that you've offered online. Um, So... I suppose, you know, it's like uh, you take a famous like broadcaster on the news and are people surprised when Dan Rather, for example, famous American news broadcaster, he's also kind of got a little bit of a Twitter resurgence lately. But are they surprised when they meet Dan Rather in real life and he's not wearing a suit and he's wearing shorts and a T-shirt? Well, they probably are surprised, but... They shouldn't be, right? Because it's like you, you're always getting a slice of somebody when you view them through some format that they've decided is the version of them that they're giving you. And they, getting back to the whole thing I, I said earlier about, you know, a, a lot of us have this have this shared experience of feeling like we quote unquote know people from listening to their podcasts. And you really do only know that little slice of them that they've chosen to share with you on that podcast. So like on the Core Intuition show... People really know Manton and I with respect to how we feel about Apple, Twitter, programming, paradigms, what we think about Swift, what we think about the way Apple runs its software business. And they know very little about what we think about politics. They know very little about, like, you know, there are aspects of my personality that that I'm a vegetarian, for example, or that I make pizza, like you've noted, uh, that you don't get from listening to Core Intuition. You get that from my microblog or my Twitter or my regular blogs or m- me being on other podcasts like this. And so I don't know. I, th- I think um, I don't I don't even remember how I got down this path, but uh, the the fact that people are surprised when they meet me for there's always something not I wouldn't shouldn't say always but there's often something about me in person that I guess is not a component of any of the slices of my personality that I share publicly online there's always something that um, people are like I didn't expect this I didn't expect you to look like this I didn't expect you to talk like this I didn't expect you to use i don't know respectful language <laughs> it's it's um it, it's always something that defies people's expectations and so i guess it's good it's a good reminder i mean in real life too you're always getting a slice of somebody um the whole like code switching thing is i think pretty powerful that you know like i was saying when you meet the in-laws you're a different version of yourself than when you're out for a drink with your friends but the whole like idea that I guess I do kind of like being able to have different personalities online. I like the fact that I can... uh, Oh, here's another good example. So um, I adopt a sort of professorial tone with my blogging. I know I do this, and it's just for whatever reason, I like authoritative 
blogging. And not all my blogging does this, but for example, if I'm writing a blog post about, you know, some argument about Apple's behavior, it's almost like a journalistic style of authoritative sounding. And and, and I've gotten pushback from that, that people say, like, I sound like I'm trying to be a a know-it-all or whatever. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to come off like smarter than I am. I'm like, you know, that's just the, that's just the tone that I think tells people you care about what you're saying. I could say like, whatevs, (laughs) you know, here's my take, but it's like the format fits the way you want to be understood. I don't know. There's something fun about the fact that you can, you can invent, you know, I, like I said earlier, I also did this bit splitting podcast and my persona on that it was really hard for me because as you're noticing interviewing me now, I don't have a problem going off on a tangent and speaking extemporaneously for long periods of time. I always tell people this when when um, <laughs> when they're interviewing me for a podcast, I say, you just need – because for folks who don't know, like before this podcast, it, I was encouraged to go speak into extemporaneously. Um, and I always have to say, listen, if anything, you're going to have to stop me from talking because I will get going on something. In other words, like interviewers who are worried that uh, I might clam up and not speak, they don't really have to worry about that. Uh, Where was I going? So then I get myself into these little holes where, uh, I don't remember why I went down this path, but, um, anyway, I just like the fact that, um, we can... Oh, I know what I was going to say. On the bit splitting podcast, I had a different persona, which was interesting for me because I had to explicitly turn off the rambling, go on forever, make it all about me kind of like part of my personality because I was interviewing other people the same way you're interviewing me now and you want me to go off extemporaneously. I wanted other people to do that. And I knew that if I was just my normal core intuition slash, you know, friend at a bar, slash whatever personality, I would just go off and I wouldn't give the guest any time to speak. And so I remember having this, I might have even put it in my show notes, like every time, like just shut up, like stop talking, let the person talk. (laughs) And I had to be careful, even if I thought I had something interesting to say about a subject, I had to be careful to try to keep it concise. And so it's kind of fun, though, that you can come like if I have a, a, a whim to have another format of podcast, I can just make it I can make um, and I've had this thought too, like, uh, you know, speaking of Manton Reese, my co co-host, um, he does or I, I haven't um, noticed if he's done it much lately, but he has periodically done sort of a short format, like two or three minutes every day or whenever he feels like it kind of podcast. And that's like a whole different format. That's just like a diary almost. And I've thought about doing something like that. Um, I thought about doing things like live streaming, um, live streaming me programming. And I'm like, you know, who would want to watch that? Well, it turns out somebody would. And you have the opportunity because of all these open formats and all the technology that's out there. Like you can engage in the world community however you want to. You know, like I said earlier, not, I, I come into this interview with, with no jitters, really, because I'm so used to it. Other people are terrified of 
was public speaking, and this would count as that. They're terrified that they would say something they'd regret. And for those people, maybe the way they engage is Instagram, where they can just post photos that they've decided in advance that they like and that they are comfortable sharing. And so there's kind of like a different format for everybody, depending on what you're comfortable with. And I just think when we get down to the the crux of it, podcasting is one component of this massive, you know, blogging, photo sharing, audio sharing, video sharing. The fact that you can share and that it became a huge business to share with other people, you playing a video game, uh, you know, Twitch being a multi-billion dollar enterprise based on somebody not being satisfied with um, you can blog, you can podcast, you can video stream. We need to take that to another level and have it be streaming me playing a video game specifically. And people are going to keep, I think, inventing new ways to share a component of their personality. And, you know, when when you watch somebody play a video game, that's really a, a narrow component of somebody's personality. It's like what they do on Minecraft is a very slim peek at somebody. Um, but... That's, I guess, that's my my open thinking on this subject is just that it's, we're always inventing new ways to share a little bit of ourselves with other people. And that's exciting. That's fantastic. And yeah, certainly don't worry about speaking extemporaneously. (laughs) As you hinted, that is precisely what I like and what I'm enjoying about doing this entire interview series. And look, I'm going to note the time because I know that you're entering your working day, whereas I get to toddle off to go to sleep. But unless there's something else that you wanted to mention specifically, I wanted to ask you a final question here and feel free to go on if something else sparks in your mind, as you said, but that idea of trying new ways of expressing yourself or speaking or communicating on the web, is there something that maybe you've held back on or you've considered trying or would like to do in expressing your own personality or thoughts on the web that you might not have done before? I think there are, I think there are tons of them. It's funny. I have done a lot. And when I think back at it, you know, I have a lot of interests. uh, I have a lot of blogs. I haven't been as engaged or active with all of them, but you know, I have musical interests, for example. and, And I think, well, I'd like to do more musical stuff and engage with the world more musically. And then I think, well, you know, I did do, I have a whole blog where I made musical renditions of Twitter posts. It's called Twit Pop. Wow. <laughs> but I have so many different venues. Um, so if anyone's interested in that, you can go to punkitup.com. <laughs> Let me see. Let me make sure that that's right. Punkitup.com slash Twit Pop. And that's just an example of, of something. Uh, the, my last post was 2016. But that's an example where I said, you know what would be funny is if I made musical renditions of Twitter posts and then posted them on the web. And I decided to do that and I did it and I did it. And then I got tired of it, I guess. And I'm not committing. I'm not committing to ever doing another one or not doing another one. (laughs) But this just the fact that I could do that is it's just amazing. And I don't know that there are, I, I mean, other aspects of my personality include things like my interest in music and cooking and sailing and running exercise. I kind of do get my thoughts on those things out there to some extent, one way or another, but I could see, I could imagine going deeper on 
any of those subjects and maybe others. DIY, home improvement, things like this. Um, I do sometimes think when I when I watch a, a YouTube video about like how to fix a faucet, I do sometimes think I could do a better video than that. <laughs> and so who knows? Maybe I'll have a maybe I'll have a, a YouTube channel at some point. Uh, but like I said earlier, the fact that it's not an open format it gives me a little pause. Uh, I, I imagine I if I did something like that, I would probably have a blog to go with it. That would be the opening up of that of that format to some extent. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, I, I, I kind of enjoy, I, I enjoy when other people share something about themselves that's humane and authentic. And I try to model that for other people. And so, um, I think whatever I'm doing, if it's my punk ass persona or if it's my core intuition or my blogging, you're getting some authentic slice of me. And I, I really value and and try to reward other people doing that as well. So that's about it. That's my final thought. I don't think I have any mic drop. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And look, you've brought it back to a wonderful spot discussing openness, blogging as an open area to share ideas. And also just that idea that you are many different people. I think yeah. a lot of people can relate to that. We all present different parts of ourselves. So as you say, if that's the mic drop and you're happy to stop there, <laughs> I want to say thank you, Daniel, for an excellent conversation yep. and uh, really appreciate you joining really specific stories. I really had fun joining you. I commend you on the project. I hope everything goes continues to go well with it. Thanks for having me.